I first saw this week's guest in a TED talk that he did. And the TED talk was basically talking about how different generations have different life experiences. And it was brilliant. It really blew me away. And when this week's guest was just 13, he turned his love for the video game Minecraft into a job, building up a business to a team of over 35, operating across 13 different countries. Pretty impressive. He's only 19 now. When we met, he'd just come from a meeting at BAFTA with Sky TV to talk about some new TV concepts that he had. And he's got a real razor-sharp focus on how youth audiences should be spoken to and how they should be addressed, if you like. Our conversation with uh, Brandon, Brandon Relf is his name, kind of spans his bugbears with brands and how they should be talking to audiences directly. And, yeah, I think it was quite good. We got to know Brandon well, we got to know what his role encompasses, and then we dug down and we asked him those big questions. We found out what is his rocket fuel. Brandon, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. No worries. Um, let's start with your journey. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your journey. How did you get to where you are now? Because I think people are going to be surprised. <laughs> so I started my first venture when I was 13. So I'm guessing you've had a Minecraft. Yeah. Um, most people have if they haven't played it themselves. Probably their children have. Yeah. And I built content within Minecraft for sort of marketing and educational purposes. So grew and expanded that team and that company in about four years to 40 people while I was still in school. Wow. Um, so it was lots of late nights. Well, I mean, early on when I was, you know, like 13, 14, it was like, you know, the computer off at nine. So it was like time limited on the work. And we basically built huge, um, you know, Minecraft content. Could be more small Minecraft content around that. And then we also produced uh, and worked behind the scenes on some popular Minecraft channels. And uh, we produced one of the most popular Minecraft series on YouTube ever. Um, And then after that, uh, at sort of the end of 2017, I uh, exited the Minecraft space. I mean, Minecraft was on a bit of a decline anyway. Um, It sort of peaked a little bit this summer, but uh, I don't know if that will stand. I don't think it will. And what... And I sort of moved on to a lot more of uh, doing consultancy and strategy, mainly for large, large corporations. So I'm able to be a little bit picky over who I work with. And um, I sort of went in that. And I have a real passion for, you know, young people. Uh, as somebody who's um, well now 19. That's my birthday the this grand week. grand old age of 19. <laughs> Many so happy I've just, become, I've just become 19. Uh, I'm dreading the big 20. I feel like that's when you become, you know, you, it really starts to, you become an adult then properly. And and who do you consult for now, Brandon? What um, sort of names? Give us. Well, I can't give you too many names because uh, we purposely keep them quite uh, discreet. But the main industries I consult into are technology companies, so large technology companies, um, fashion, um, not high-end fashion, mainly fast fashion. So, you know, you're talking like low-budget you know, mass market stuff. And then also um, a bit into recently into sort of food and drink. 
and they would come to you to find out what young people think effectively. Yeah, so so it, it could be a mixture. Some of them might go in and do talks. I also do talks at agency level, so not necessarily the brands themselves, but the agencies that they use and sort of build their understanding of young people a little bit more. And then we... And then I can also do sort of more traditional consultancy, which is why, you know, look for all of your strategies and plans and critique them and tell you what you could be doing a little bit better. Usually it's little tiny tweaks that can go a long way. Okay. Um, it's not big complicated things that are like, you know, the biggest struggles, you know, to do or, you know, rethinking everything you're doing. Very often it's little tiny, you know, little tiny changes or who you're working with or whatever. And uh, I found like, I found that it's it's gone really, really well. And all of my consultancy and things like that and all of my knowledge comes not just from sort of personal accounts, but I very much like to, you know, like come from research and it's data driven and it's not like, you see different people in this space that sort of, you know, bollock around the idea and nice turn of phrase bollock around um when i i'm all for using data to drive what i'm saying and also as well being 19 i'm sort of in that prime age group that they want to understand so my peers and whatever are are that sort of their target audience Um, we'll come on to talk more about your work let's Mm -hmm. stay focused on you for a second have you a mentor have you ever thought about having a mentor? Do you think you'll ever mentor and mentor anybody someday? Mm, not really. I wouldn't say I've really had a, a traditional mentor in some ways. I've always been open to taking advice and talking to people. I mean, somebody that I work loads with um, is, is, is a lady called Lizzie Hodgson, uh, who I also do a podcast with. And we, her and I, I would say, we kind of mentor each other in okay. some ways. So it's, we're kind of on, um, so Lizzie's uh, got considerably more experience than me. Um, I'm sure she won't mind me saying that. Mm. Uh, but she, um, she's at a later stage in her life. That makes it sound so old. <laughs> she's not really that old whatsoever. <laughs> but um, she, she's, she's got um, a lot more, she's had a big career behind her and still doing exciting things. And we both sort of work with young people at our hearts and we can bounce off ideas. She's very, very good at operations. Okay. So she's very good at getting stuff done. And I'm very good at the overall image. So consultancy works well for me because I don't often execute on what I'm doing. (laughs) It's more of, you know, telling you what to do. And that's, you know, something that I always try to work on. But, you know, sometimes you just got to stick to what you're good at. Yeah. And I'm really good at that, coming up with ideas. Um, so off of which we were just discussing before this, the children's media conference, which I attended, we um, have had lots of ideas and lots of interests for, you know, stuff in television. Yeah. That, you know, asked me two years ago, I would have never thought I would have been doing that. Um, but Lizzie and I are able to come up and, and, you know, between us, back to forward. So the mentorship, I guess, in some ways comes like that. Okay. Um, Talk to me about how you're, um, what you're like as a collaborator and, and what's the, who are the sort of people? What's the genetic makeup of the sort of people that you like working with? I like, that's, that's an interesting question. I like yeah. that question. I mean, I like to work with people that are always open to change. So it's people that aren't stuck in their ways and they're always like looking for new ways to do stuff. Um, I I generally am quite uh, quite 
uh, sort of an outgoing person and I'm quite a chatty person. I do get on quite well with, you know, similarly chatty people. But, you know, they're, they're some of my friends uh, personally and, and some of the people I work with as well aren't so outgoing as me. But I get on with people that, you know, want to want to sort of mark those, you know, different changes and want to do different stuff differently. If you're stuck in your ways, you and I will probably, you know, not get on too well. Okay. How often, you mentioned you don't like working with people that are stuck in their ways. Mm-hmm. How often should you be innovating? How often should you be coming up with new ideas? Because at the frenetic pace of change, I sometimes think there's not the opportunity to develop ideas and do them properly. How, what, is there a constant obsession with innovation and do you think that's right? I, I think there is a constant, you know, there's a constant need to innovate in some ways, but I think that there's ways to develop ideas and innovate in the same way. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think you need to, you know, completely start from scratch and rethink everything, but it's constantly changing. I mean, you know, in social media, for example, you know, Facebook likes to change their algorithms every single week. So yeah. you, you're forced to constantly evolve. And if you don't, you'll very quickly be left behind. And for the, for the brands I work with, they're always eager to innovate. And, and I think almost there's, it, it's capturing, you know, that young audience nowadays is it's very, very fast. Yep. And if you don't innovate, you'll be left behind. And as we start to see the rise of AI and things like that, we're, we're going to see, you know, computers be able to innovate a lot quicker than humans are. And the companies that are, that are at the forefront of that will be, will be the successful ones. Do you constantly have an eye on other projects, other opportunities? Are you constantly thinking, what's next? Are you constantly looking for the next job? Or how does that work? Yeah, well, I, I generally don't see myself sticking in, you know, the career that I'm at the moment. I mean, I'm in this weird mix at the moment where I'm sort of entering the production space. Uh, more TV, film, production, that element than, you know, commercials or anything like that. Not that sort of thing. I have no interest in that. And then I'm also still in consultancy. And obviously, I've come out of gaming. Yeah. And so you're constantly evolving. I think for me, it's always it's always what, what I'm interested in. And... I can't see myself doing a job for like 25 years in the same career okay. whatsoever. So it's, it is going to be constant evolving. I mean, in the future, I'd love to do something in education. Now, some of the ideas I have for education, I think, are so radical that like if I tried to implement them now, I would get nowhere just because of how slow the education system moves. But, you know, maybe in another five to 10 years, it could be, you know, you know space for that. But I'm really one of those that likes to, you know... If you send me an email and uh, you want, you know, half an hour of my time, just have a conversation. If we can find a place to have a coffee, you know, maybe we do like that. But I'll always take a phone call with you. There's never, I never really say no to anybody. Okay. Um, So I'm always like open to new, you know, new ventures and new ideas. Um, I mean, I'm always, the thing that I'm interested in doing at the moment as like a side project is you know doing some you know joining some company boards and things like that uh, to get some to share some new things like on board levels in companies and things like that but you know when those opportunities you know present themselves they present themselves they don't necessarily you know chase after things like that I like to just always have conversations and, and you know do you people. switch off easily do you how do you relax um, I relax pr- 
probably in a weird way to, you know, what you'd imagine, but there isn't really... I'm relaxed when I'm doing my work. Okay. Um, I find my life quite a relaxing <laughs> thing. Um, there's not... Moments of stress aren't really there. I mean, I've, I've learnt ways to deal with stress effectively. But, you know, my switches off, I guess, usually my workflow when I'm at home, for example, when I'm working from home, which I like to do often because I don't, you know, when I've got paperwork to crack on, I don't really like to see any people. And I'll wake up at like 12 in the middle of the day, um, work for four or five hours and then stop and have dinner and then break for a few hours in the evening then pick it up maybe 10, 11, crack on till four or five o'clock in the morning, go to bed, um, you know, rinse and repeat. Uh, my switch off, I think, you know, one thing I do, which um, people always laugh at, is I'm a big fan of the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. So every day before I go to bed, I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> I mean, I've seen, the si- I've seen it so many times. How many episodes of that are there? Uh, there's six seasons, about 20 episodes a season. Okay. So, so how many times do you think you've been through it all? Uh, probably like five, six okay. times. That's um, impressive. Yeah. That's devotion. Yeah. It's one of those where I actually, I fall asleep with it on. So I like, I know the show so well. Um, it's similar with, the, the, I used to do it with the Big Bang Theory. Um, but the Big Bang Theory is finished now. Yeah. They finished it forever. And uh, I I know that, that show inside out. Similarly, I know like Doctor Who inside out. I could tell you what happens in every single Doctor Who episode ever. <laughs> and... And my, you know, mindset, I think that's a switch off. But, I, you know, I, I feel like I don't ever switch off because I never really stop learning. Okay. Um, when I'm watching YouTube, which I like to do in my downtime, you know, I'm doing that for fun, for what that. But at the same time, I'm understanding the consumer base that's watching YouTube anyway. So I never really need to switch off in that way. And then some of my best ideas happen when I'm asleep. So I will wake up in the middle of the night and go and go my notes and type. Do you have a pen and pad by the bed? How do Uh, you? No, straight on mobile phone notes. Just straight on there. Notes because I wake up and I look at my mobile phone anyway to see the time. So I go on there and make notes and go back to sleep. Final question on you. Mm -hmm. I first became aware of your work via a TED talk that you did. And we've also really started to uh, shift. Uh, And the main reason for our shift is because we are the first generation to ever grow up with this thing that you guys might have heard of called the internet. Um, and it was excellent, and people can Thank still you. find it on YouTube. And, yeah, and so it's, it made its way onto TED.com recently yes, as well. Yeah, <laughs> um, that might have been where I first saw it. And it was, it was the most incredible way of positioning yourself as a spokesperson for a generation that lots of people in the audience mm-hmm. had never thought about as yeah. being in any well, way different. Yeah, well, for some context for the TED talk, mm. it was at TEDx Brighton, which is the biggest TED event in Europe. So it's humongous. It's yep. in the Brighton Dome. It's over one and a half thousand people. Uh, and, and they approached me to be on there um, a couple of months before. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, but you'll notice about that talk is it's, it's quite short mm. compared to other talks. But that was by design. Mm. Um, it was meant to be, if I'm honest, it was meant to be a little longer, but my key prop wasn't working properly. Oh, really? Um, so <laughs> there was a little bit that, that got left out of it. But generally, it wouldn't have been you know, longer than another 30 seconds a minute. And it was designed to be short, consumable, and, you know, something that... Because sometimes when I see TED Talks and they're 18 minutes, it's a bit of a commitment to watch it for 18 minutes. Yeah. You know, mine's like, you know, under six, so you can just click on it, watch it, and understand a, a, little, a little bit of, you know, what Gen, Gen Z is. 
Okay, Brandon, we're going to move on to talking about your work now. <laughs> I suppose bits of the work that you've done, bits of the work that you've delivered for various different brands that everybody will have heard of, but you can't name any of them. <laughs> Just the first question. Mm-hmm. How conscious are you as about yourself as a brand in how you communicate yourself and the skills that you offer to the various brands that you work with? I mean, generally, on a public level, uh, up until recently, I've been really bad at presenting online what I actually do. Uh, if I'm honest, that was mainly by design because lots of my clients come from, you know, contacting me directly or from, you know, recommendations and things like that. Uh, you know, I'm very conscious of, you know, how I present myself. It's it's always interesting just to, you know, I, I think the, the label that commonly gets attached to me is I'm like the youth specialist. <laughs> so I'm the guy that if you want to understand young people, people come to. And I feel like that that name has somehow resonated between you know, different places, like people will send me emails and go, oh, hi, you're the, you know, I've heard you're the youth specialist or whatever. Um, I was up at CMC because I was the youth specialist. Yeah. And that's how they, you know, found and heard about me through that's the grapevine. That's the children's media conference yeah. for those listening. And, and we, and, you know, I'm very conscious and aware of, you know, my position. I don't, you know, use it in any other way. I, I'm, I don't spam out sort of, you know, marketing material or anything like that. I keep a very reserved presence. Are there um, brands, forgive me interrupting, are there brands you won't work for? Kind of, yeah. But not like, oh, I won't work for that specific brand. I mean, I very much care for sort of moral, moral codes. I mean, for example, with when I talk at events. So, you know, I do lots of speaking as well. Um, and I have an agent for speaking and all of that. And uh, my agent has a list of events that I won't, you know, go to. And it's not specific events. It's like looking at who you've got at your event. And if, you're, if your event isn't um, diverse enough, I won't go. Okay. If your event isn't, hasn't got at least one woman um, keynote speaker, you know, I won't go. Um, and I also look at things like, um, you know, sustainability. So are you, is your event conscious about being sustainable? Um, you know, if you on stage, I always in my rider, I ask for a glass of water, no water bottles or anything like that. And so, you know, there's there's that level of that. I mean, in, in terms of brands, I think, you know, in the digital space at the moment there, Using my knowledge, you could very quickly con a lot of people into doing things. Um, and I'm not about that. So, you know, I, I my, my brands are exclusively large brands uh, that, you know, that are sort of household names in some ways. But they, you know, they care. They take care in their image. So, you know, I feel like I'm okay. I don't not name the brands I work with because, you know, I'm ashamed of working for any of them or anything like that. I realise. Um, it's, it's mainly just because usually, you know, usually I've signed contracts to say I won't name with them or I've signed contracts with the agencies to say that I won't. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm always making a conscious effort that what I'm doing is, you know, morally right for my compass. What was the breaking point for you? Was it the Minecraft content business? Has it been one specific talk? When have you thought, okay, I'm on a roll here? Um, I think it was when I first 
I mean, the Minecraft stuff was great. I mean, in 2015, we had loads of press coverage on it. We had, even, we had a, a load more when we did our Tesla project. And, you know, um, the press is always interesting and great. And, and, and that was when we sort of realised that we were doing something right with the Minecraft stuff. And that's when we really started to go and expand. You know, coming off the Minecraft stuff, when I started doing my own things, you know, when I developed this talk, which is this talk called You Are Wrong, which I've done you know, probably nearing on a hundred times now. It's uh, this talk that I mainly do within agencies, which is kind of pointing the fun out of, you know, young people and the misconceptions. Yeah. And I think, you know, once, say, my first client came off of the Minecraft stuff in my consultancy. So, um, you know, it was kind of, uh, it was, it kind of came off the back of that very easily. It was a very, you know, easy sell. And then when you start to get other people interested, that's when I started to realise, oh, okay, maybe I'm onto something here. And then when you start getting invited to the posh dinners and things like that and meeting and smooching with what I would call in some ways a different class of people than, <laughs> than I normally used to, um, you that's when that was that, that sort of like breaking point as to when I realised, okay, maybe we're onto something. So let's just drill down, because you mentioned that talk that you do that addresses some of the misconceptions. Mm -hmm. So for the listeners, let's go into some of those misconceptions. Mm -hmm. what, what makes you roll your eyes that people, perhaps of older generations or people in big brands, roll their eyes at young people yeah. about? This is, the, this is the funniest thing that I, I always like to start and, and I talk about. And there's this big flashy side that comes up when I talk about it. And it's, uh, it's this slide that says, we are not millennials. Um, because so commonly our generation gets grouped together with millennials because it's like, oh, they have social media and things like that. We're very, very different. If anything, we're, we're a lot more similar as a generation to the generation above millennials, so Gen X, rather than, you know, the millennials themselves. They're a weird outlier generation. And the amount of people that come to us with, like, you know, come to me with, with these strategies that are like where they group millennials and Gen Z together. And I'm like, no, these are, these are different age groups. You do not do this. They just think, oh, we'll do a social media strategy when it's like, no, you've got to have one for Gen Z and one for millennials. Millennials are, you know, kind of stupid in some ways and can just be advertised to a lot easier than our generation. So we always find that that's kind of my main, you know, takeaway is what usually they learn. So... Forgive me, Brandon. Come on, develop the act. Tell, talk to me about Generation Alpha because they're coming next. They're the children of millennials. <laughs> yep. What are the key things that you notice about Generation Alpha? Uh, super entrepreneurial um, and super. It, it, they're they're very. I, I I struggle with when they limit Gen Alpha and Gen Z and they try to separate them. I don't think we've quite had a pivotal point, in my opinion, where we've actually where it sparked a change in generation. I think Generation Z and Gen Alpha are very, very similar. And I think they'll grow up in a similar way to how, um, you know, to each other. Um, generation Alpha is really exciting. And, 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 you know, similarly to Gen Z, it's because of that, that aspect of, I think, them feeling a lot more empowered and, and the ability to be more global. And so having that understanding that, you know, we can talk to people. I mean, in my first company, we had, we had employees in 13 different countries, all Generation Z and Gen Alpha. And now we're seeing, you know, more companies sort of sprout up, you know, like that. And I'm really optimistic, particularly with what young people are doing, you know, around changes to the climate and things like that, that, you know, we're 
brands, and, and you know, not just brands, but people should be very excited for the young generation to come up. Okay, and the key, you've mentioned data being a key almost platform on which you base your thinking and your conversations with brands. Mm -hmm. There's increasingly, there's so much data. There's a lot of data, yeah. When, when do you move from data to insights? And what data do you use? Is it your stuff you commission? Is it stuff? It's a mixture. So I do commission some stuff myself. But mainly, you know, mainly it's stuff in the public domain. I think, you know, for me, I can always look at data and uh, because I kind of understand where it's usually coming from, you know, you can very quickly tell if, you know, it's a load of rubbish or it's, you know, something that's a bit, you know, that's got some tangible, you know, meaning to it. And I think that comes from, you know, actually being in the generation myself, I can kind of go, well, you know, I can tell you now 80% of people don't think that. Because I know, you know, out of a sample size of a thousand people in my school, you know, I know that, you know, 800 of them don't think that. And so when, you know, when I'm looking at data, it's, it's always, you know, looking and comparing it. And, you know, multiple, you know, areas will do the same studies or very similar studies. It's, and look and it's such a good point you raise. Being able to call nonsense on a piece of data is something yeah. crucial. We... We ran a piece of research ourselves at Rocket about uh, six months ago, and 25% of teenagers told us they never went on social media. And you just need to know, there's a really famous story in America where Burger King researched their audience, and I think it was something like 70% of their audience said, we would love you to sell salads. And when the salads didn't sell, Burger King literally said, our customers lied to us. And people will say certain things on but certain days. Like, yeah, like the, the, I think that's a prime example of customers lying to you. I would have probably said, yeah, great, yeah, salads are great. It's always how it's pitched to you, exactly. do you know what I mean? And I always struggle with, um, with research. And also I really struggle with grouping, you know, people together in general and going, oh, this is what Gen Z think. Uh, because everybody in Gen Z, more than ever, are diverse and different. Um, there's general trends that we can see, and you can see those by walking out in the street and seeing where the young people are at. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It can be as simple as that. But it's also, you know, understanding, you know, their behaviour on a, on a psychological level as well. And you must be like me in terms of a healthy mistrust of data sometimes is also the... And I, I'm sure there are PR people listening, but the PR industry who will commission research to get specific results back yep. that they can then jump on. Yeah. I mean, it's a bugbear of mine. I mean, is it similar to yours? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I get my research um, from universities um, and I've only let exclusively PhD students work on them or below. Okay. So I don't want adults working on them. I, you know, I commission them from young people themselves. You know, even PhD students are a little too old for my liking, but most of them won't agree to doing it lower than that. But it's, it's um, you know, when you, when you get, when you're trying to find data to back up what you're saying, it's very different to reading the data and, you know, basing what you're saying off of it. So and I think you bring up a prime example of, you know, sometimes PR people will try and fish for specific information points. And sometimes they'll group together groups or, you know, misrepresent data. It's always just taking that that little step back. And for me, using my little bit of common sense, you know, that example you used, well, obviously 25% of young people don't 
<laughs> yeah, they, they do use social media. Um, I would say it's closer to, you know, a few percent rather yep. than, you know, that. Um, and even those few percent, very often from what I found, use some form of social media without even realising. So it's it's a very difficult, you know, way to do. But, but I have a... The reason that brands hire me in the first place is because I kind of have a gut for what's right. And that comes from living my life within the sphere of all. And the final question in this section about your work, Mm Brandon, is I want to kind of discuss a a bit about being reactive versus being proactive. Mm -hmm. When, When do you take the research? Do you take the research to react to a specific question or are you more proactive in your thinking to to back up those gut instincts? I think probably more proactive, but a mixture of both. You know, I I don't think there's more one right than the other. I build, you know, my insights constantly. I don't go out and find specific data for a specific client very often. You know, I I generally know who, what you're doing and what's going in on that space anyway. Um, I guess I get the benefit of working with big companies. Um, not that I'm against working with smaller companies, but usually I have a better understanding and can have more change in bigger companies. Um, and to be honest, it's usually only bigger companies that can afford to have me because <laughs> I charge a premium because I don't. I, I try to do the least amount that I, that I need to do so I can do other stuff. Um, I think with data, I'm always looking for things that can develop my understanding. It's never me going oh I think this so I'm going to find some information to go that it's more like oh I regularly read lots of data this is interesting this is finding and then you know personally myself going into you know why is that happening or why is that looking at that and you know there's a mixture of you know different streams for data and different streams for information but I spend you know a few hours a day just reading papers and reading you know news articles and just generally getting lost in, in, in that world and then, you know, questioning everything. I'm still here with Brandon. Um, this is the bit of the podcast where we look to get the rocket fuel, the insights, the experience, the knowledge, the know-how that help our listeners go about their daily lives refining how they communicate with young audiences, youth and children's audiences. And Brandon is perfectly placed to give yeah. us some uh, some insights and some thinking here. Brandon, let's start with this. What do you know about young audiences? Not everything, but a lot of it. Um, I think I know, I know very much what I know, but, but more importantly, I think my, and the reason people hire me is because I know how to get access to the information and the people that, you know, can give me that knowledge. My ability is, in some ways, is, you know, to consume information really quickly and grasp an understanding of young people very, very quickly based off of everything in my mind that I probably don't even realise is still there. And so how I know that information is is just by, you know, constantly evolving and constantly using what I know, um, you know, actively in what I do. What we, as marketeers, we hear so much in Rocket about, if you like, um, brand purpose and what brands mean to audiences. Mm-hmm. What's important to young people? What, what, what yeah, what, what do they hold dear? I mean, um, 
we always it, it's hard to you can't I can't go oh all the young people think this um, I mean a rising issue at the moment is your your brand's responsibility to the environment okay um, and we're seeing I mean we've seen the largest climate strikes in human history happen led by young people and if that isn't an indication enough I don't know what you know quite is I think it's around you know brands being you know honest and truthful I mean I do consultancy in marketing and, and then also in, in HR as well about hiring young people and when we're seeing what young people are looking for when they're going into work it's it's those values that those companies have um, so for example in apple they have a key value and their key values is privacy and having their users care for their privacy now you know i think that's particularly appealing to me and what you know what i do now as a whole as a generation i, I don't think that there's you know necessarily a huge need for privacy in some ways you know Young people are fully aware of when they're using social media that they're basically trading their data for it. And I don't think that, you know, people... This is the problem when it comes to research, is if yeah. I asked you if you have a problem with it, you'd probably say yes. Um, I know I would say yes, but I still use all of the social yeah. media channels. Now, it's, it's, it's kind of actively getting better. I mean, I have blockers on my things, so sites can't track me in between. I mean, Apple have built that into Safari now and mm. things like that. But, you know, it's just... I think you've got to step step back and, you know, young people are caring a lot more now about big brands. Yeah. And, and you know, we're seeing that, that general shift. Millennials shifted a little, more, a little more to, you know, independent and bougie and things like that. But we're, we're seeing them, you know, young people at the moment are sticking with big brands and keeping loyal. But it's that element of like, you know, that, that responsibility and also that relevance, you know, it's a relevance game. And what, what do you think's changed about young audiences and what's going to be the big change that should be on everybody's radar? Um, what do you mean change, changes in from, from the millennial generation? Or? Yeah, changes in behavioural patterns, changes in things they do, things that they well, think. Well, young people are very, very quick consumers of information. So, you know, you know studies have shown is that biologically our minds have changed so because we've grown up with the internet we've grown up with computers in our hands the rate at which we can consume information and also consume varied information so for me for example i cite you know five news sources before drawing conclusions you know and i can do that simply on twitter you know i can go on the twitter moment and look at you know five different you know the metro and then you know what the daily mirror are saying about it and then what the bbc is saying about it and getting information like that and, you know, social media is as important as ever. But, you know, more than social media, it's how you're using social media. You know, you've got to, you know, the reason influencers have been so successful in this space. And I work with lots of influencers um, and I'm friends with lots of influencers. So I have that different aspect of, you know, being friends and knowing, you know, you know what their motives and what got them into it is that element of, you know, being able to build trust with, with the younger audience and, you know, building that sort of friend relationship. Now, influencer marketing at the moment is getting a bit wrecked by big brands coming into the influencer space and trying to farm influencer marketing. And um, I think we could have an hour conversation about that on Absolutely. Um, and I completely disagree with that. But there's something honest about brands doing, you know, 
having an authentic voice and being a lot more human. I mean, we, we mentioned Burger King earlier. Mm. Burger King are absolutely killing it in the social media game mm. because they're almost human. They're, yeah. they're doing human reactions to stuff and they're not losing that thing. I mean, a big rising bank at the moment, which is Monzo in the UK. Mm. Um, so Monzo started after Starling, which is another one, but they've got more customers. And I think that's down to you know, that, how they've done social media and how they've done their support. Are there any um, brands getting it wrong or any sectors getting it wrong? Um, I mean, it's difficult to say. I mean, like, I don't work in the auto industry whatsoever. But the main reason for that is at the moment, those brands actually don't need to communicate with young people as much as, you know, some of the other brands. It's, it's always a difficult thing. Brands never seem to do everything wrong, but then they also commonly don't seem to ever do everything right. Mm. It's it's the the balance of where they're at. And, and there can be something as simple as, you know, making a different hire. I mean, we're seeing at the moment the mass movement of big brands moving their social media stuff in-house, um, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing because I think it helps align what they're doing socially with, yep. with what they're doing and if they can't do that properly with an agency then it, it can sometimes be like important that should be very important to them i mean but there, there are sometimes you know like you know i hate to call them out because you know i love their platform to pieces but like youtube for example youtube are absolutely terrible at communicating mm. Um, now I work with YouTube into to the creator community and to the public. Yeah, well, that's mm. also not, and also to industry. As yeah, well. um, I, you know, I work with YouTube on all levels, um, from you know, you know, advertising on YouTube, you know, with some of the brands I work with, but also consuming YouTube, and also from you know being friends with YouTube creators that create stuff on there. They are just terrible at communicating. I think a lack of communication is something lots of big brands suffer from. I mean, just as we're recording, um, last week Apple changed podcast categories mm-hmm. without telling anybody, without telling any other podcast providers. Any. So I think lots of the big brands are I guilty think, of it. Yeah, I think Apple, Apple are an interesting one because they, they kind of can get away with it. They can get away with a lot more than normal other brands can. Um, and I don't think you should ever base your business model off of Apple unless you really want to go risky because mm. this mentality that Apple thinks they're more right than anybody else is fantastic for them. And I love Apple as a company um, and I love them for doing that. But that's a very dangerous mentality for lots of other companies to have. And, you know, you look at YouTube's communication and it, I, I think it's just down to that, you know, element of, you know, YouTube feels inhuman. So it doesn't feel like you're you're talking. It does feel like a big company, and I get why they you know maybe struggle with communication, but you know it can be as simple as oh we're looking into this you know or you know we're sorry this has happened yeah or whereas or you know reacting in the moment rather than reacting you know two or three days later after the storm sailed things don't last long in the internet world particularly drama. People don't hold on to stuff for very long and it will it moves very, very quickly. I'd um, agree with that. And there's, there's a need for speed as well as Yeah, and if and if you don't give a positive not like, oh hi, we're we've done this or whatever and then it gives people a bad taste of your company. Yeah. They're gonna remember that bad taste, but they won't necessarily remember your response three days later. Finally, mm-hmm. I just want to ask for, and it might seem ridiculous, but give us one takeaway for everyone listening. Our audience, I'm expecting, are going to be from 
youth marketing, youth culture, youth media. Yep. What's the one takeaway people should have in their minds? Well, I think the one takeaway, and I, I said this at the end of my TEDx talk, and it's always the takeaway, the same takeaway I give. Um, and it kind of couples with, um, if you don't really know how to do it, people will usually get me to do it. And, you know, I'm generally the spokesperson for young people in some ways. But the, the simplest thing you can do is just speak to young people themselves. You know, hire young people into your, your company, give them access to, you know, your executives to, you know, really spark change and make differences. But then also, if you're doing marketing campaigns and that, you know, talk to different people, make sure you're picking diverse groups, you know, you know, not just on um, ethnicity um, and sex and things like that. You know, you've got to look at, you know, what area of the country are they from? What, um, you know, are they working class, middle class, upper class, that sort of element? And making sure that, you know, you're talking with young people. That's the simple takeaway in some ways, is just talk to more young people. I get that, and I completely get that. And weirdly, in this in this series already, for the ones that we've recorded so far, at least two others have said exactly that. Get amongst it and yeah. make sure it's a diverse... Yeah. And, and I, I get that weird aspect where, in some ways... Um, I'm the solution for lots of people if they don't quite know how to do it. And but, yeah, um, we have products that do that for our yeah. clients. So yeah, but it, it's it's as simple as just you know having a conversation with young people. You know, lots of you know take your work home, ask your children what they think. They'll usually give you a brute, honest feedback of whatever you think it is. Brilliant. Um, don't make it so formal. You know, just you know ask them. Where can people find you, Brandon? Um, Pretty you... simply, brandonrealth.com. There you go. It is very, very simple. And, and you're across all social media Yeah, as well. although, you know, some of them are down at the moment because uh, they got age-gated. But the best place is just brandonrealth.com. It's got all my contact details on there. I'm always open to people um, coming on and talking about that. And then similarly, we do a podcast as well, um, which is called The ZX Spectrum, where we look at sort of generational views. Um, and I'm guessing it's probably in the exact same places that your podcast is at. This will be tagged with business, and yes, hopefully yeah. we'll be next and, door and to be each other. It will be on all of the you know podcasting platforms and there all you that. Go. Um, but you know, the simplest way is just brandroth.com. And my favourite way, if you're contacting me for business, is LinkedIn. Perfect. Um, so I love chatting to people on LinkedIn, and I love hearing what people are up to. Um, so I look forward to hopefully hearing from some of your audience. Um, nice to, just send me an email. Listen, don't be scared. I'm always, whether you're a really, really tiny brand um, and you think, oh, Brandon won't even take me seriously, maybe I can come in and, you know, you know, bring some proactive ideas. You never know what's going on in my right. head. But, yeah. um, Brandon, one thing as well, just from getting to know you over the last few weeks is I'm looking forward to us working together too. So that's great. Thank, Thank you, you so much for doing this. It was great. Thank you. Really good. Nice one. Thank you. I hope you agree that was a great chat, a fascinating conversation, a really awesome guest. If you enjoyed it, let us know. You can get in touch with us across all socials at We Are Rocket or with me directly at James Erskine on Twitter. For more, tune in next week. We're still in our first season. We're still kind of evolving what we're going to try and do. We know that we want to learn from people in the youth culture, youth marketing space to establish what their rocket fuel is. Give us a five-star review, share the podcast, and tune in again next week. Thanks for listening. This is a Rocket Audio production.